0: it's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends well it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Jason Robel and Whitney Lordson.
1: Did you ever have a dream that you wanted really badly? And the thing finally comes to fruition in your life. This thing that you were praying for and hoping for and wanting. And it shows up, it manifests in your life. And then you're in it and you realize it isn't exactly what you thought it would be. So having a conversation with a friend today about her significant other having this dream job, and then getting into the dream job and realizing it kind of wasn't what he thought it was going to be in reality. So today, it's the exploration of this idea that we want something really badly, and we have this idea in our head and our hearts of what we think it's going to be, or what we think it ought to be, but then it manifests in reality and it's not really exactly what we thought it was going to be. So it's an interesting place we find ourselves. And that's what we want to explore is, is dreaming big, but then kind of the weird space of having the dream come to reality and being like, Oh, this isn't, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. So how has that shown up in your life, Whitney? I'm curious this topic because we've been riffing on it today. How does this show up in reality? And more importantly, like I think what I want to explore today is. What do we do?
0: I think this has shown up for me mainly with my career change because for a huge chunk of my life, starting when I was a teenager throughout my mid twenties, I thought that I wanted to be a professional filmmaker and that's what I went to school for. That's what I was so passionate about and just devoted so much of my time and energy and and thoughts to this career, and it was really interesting how it started to shift, which was probably a year or less into after I started my website for Eco Vegan Gal, which initially launched in late 2008 as a blog, and then. I started doing videos on YouTube and social media content and really fell in love with that process. At first, that was in addition to everything I was doing in the film industry. So I was still creating short films and working in the film industry and planning to do work long term. I wanted to be a director and I wanted to act and do so much on camera. And it actually became this natural progression for me because getting on YouTube was easy. It really had been something that I was already doing in terms of creating videos. And I just loved talking about veganism and the environment and health, wellness, all that. Once it occurred to me that I could create a career around that, which again was still really early on, in terms of making a career for bloggers and content creators. Even that term content creator didn't fully, it wasn't something that people usually use to describe themselves back in 2009, but something just shifted in me. And I never looked back on my film career, which is really interesting. I I have a lot of nostalgia for it. Sometimes I miss working on movie sets and TVs and production offices and all that. (laughs) Other than that, I really have very little desire to work in that industry and it's just so fascinating how probably 15 years of my life were consumed by that and suddenly it just completely shifted into something else very organically
1: was it disillusioning to a degree like once you know because you have this dream of I want to be a filmmaker I want to be in Hollywood I want to be in LA and you know, you graduate with a film degree you're a filmmaker you're actually doing films And then you get out to L.A. and you're in the business. Was there a series of moments or moments where you were like, oh, wow, this isn't really what I thought it was going to be?
0: In terms of was the filmmaking not what I thought it was going to be? All
1: of it. Just was there a sense of like the idea of your head didn't match reality or was there a sense of disillusionment or disappointment for you in that? Like, oh, wow, this isn't what I thought. Or did it match what you had in your head?
0: I think because I grew up in a small town and just maybe it's part of my personality or something about my family life. I've always had a little bit of an innocent side of me. And I tend to see things through almost like rose-colored glasses of feeling like I see the positive in things. And I see, I don't feel overwhelmed by challenges most of the time. And I just think that everything is possible if you put your mind to it. And so it's really interesting going from this small town in Massachusetts to moving to Los Angeles and then working in the film industry, there's a lot of wonderful elements of living in in LA. And I think people are very open-minded and heart-centered here for the most part. But in the film industry, or even just production in general, so I worked in music videos and television and movies and, and just commercials at times, just all of these different elements of production. And in general, people just don't really seem like they're living in the magic of that type of creation, which is how I viewed it. I just always saw anything creative as magical. You know, wow, you get to write these stories and make them come to life. And this is so incredible. And I think people think of Los Angeles and Hollywood specifically as as a magical place, which I really see it as myself. But the day-to-day life of working on production, people tend to be very drained. Mm -hmm. It's so interesting because I think the actors are very tuned into the magic, and some directors are as well. But I got to know a lot of directors, and first of all, most of them are men, even to this day, which is fascinating how few women either rise to the big positions as directors or maybe not big position, but uh doing like a level con type of content mm-hmm. out there. It's still very dominated by men for whatever reason, even though I think there's been a lot of acceptance of women, it's still rare that a movie or TV or music video or whatever is directed by a woman. So first of all, there's a lot of masculine energy on sets. And I think that there's a little bit of jadedness. So my interaction with all sorts, I've met so many huge directors over the years, which has been so exciting to me. But it just seems like a lot of them are a bit jaded and Mm -hmm. maybe just not the type of personality I imagined for them, for people. Mm -hmm. There are some exceptions, like when I met Steven Spielberg, he possesses a magical-like quality. And that was really satisfying to see. Rob Reiner's another person that has a bit of his jolliness and that was very consistent. And then I met Spike Jones at one point who makes a lot of magical type of content and he he seemed to be pretty tuned into that. A lot of the other, I can't remember their names off the top of my head, but just enough where I thought, hmm, this is really interesting. You'd think that these people would just be in this place of seeming like magical human beings, but instead a lot of them seem to feel like so stressed. I guess is the easiest word to assign to that. And so producers as well. I mean, producers even more so. My, I've met some really big producers over the years and a lot of them just seem very stressed and almost like they have this tunnel vision where they, a lot of the times I would work in roles as a production assistant or something and seen kind of as a minor role and just being treated like you're not important, right? That was just kind of my experience. Here I was, somebody that was so eager and so passionate and wanted to help and make a difference and wanted to learn. And there were just so many times over the years of meeting other people in the film industry or working with other people. Again, I keep saying film industry, but I really mean the whole production side of things is that so many people were jaded and stressed and self-centered or very focused on themselves and the small crowd of people around them. And it was just very, very common for unless you were part of their clique or unless you had been assigned an important role, you generally were not treated with much respect. And that was really heartbreaking. You know, <laughs> I think that there were some years I was willing to tough that out, but over time it just, I started to lose some of my passion. Yeah. And that was heartbreaking as well as that. The more people I worked, a lot of them just kind of felt like they were trudging along or, you know, you'd meet people on production sets that just seemed like they were doing it as a job, like it was any other job. And I'm sitting here thinking, you're working on this great project. Like this isn't just a job. This is like a something that people are going to view and love. And I was just surprised at how the majority of people that I experienced just did not even seem that grateful to be doing that work. And I think that's probably where the thing started to pivot for me, is seeing the side of this industry where it felt almost like corporate or something. (laughs) You know, it's just these people that are just a cog in the wheel. And I didn't want to live my life like that. So maybe that Mm -hmm. was part of the turnoff. Now, granted, I had a lot of magical experiences. I met a lot of magical people. I still believe in the magic of Hollywood and the magic of production in general. And and i think it's all about this mindset and perception but i think it did wear away at me to an extent and i much prefer <laughs> doing a lot of things on my own and having less people involved in things you know whether i'm making my own youtube videos and and doing everything by myself or i'm working with just a couple people or maybe just jason in the instance of the podcast it feels like i have I can kind of choose the type of personalities I'm I'm around more and that I can find the people that are can tap into the magic and the lightheartedness of creating content, which is probably why places like YouTube felt like a better fit for me.
1: Right. So it's this interesting thing, though, of like, we want things. I mean, there's an interesting conversation about dreams and desire that I think about a lot where it's like, from a buddhist perspective right it's this idea of like not desiring things and in not desiring things we release attachment to things but then you look at things like abraham hicks and they say well desire is kind of the driver of all creation we need to desire things to be able to bring life force energy and creative energy into things so to me with dreams and desire it's just an interesting exploration until i you Especially as a young person, but I mean, we have dreams our entire lives. Just we have this thing of like, it's going to be great. And I'm going to have this career and I'm going to do this thing. And, and sometimes it matches what the idea we have in our heads, but it's just interesting your experience with the film career because I think, and for me too, growing up in a place like Detroit, we have, you know, I had this idea of like, wow, Hollywood's this huge, crazy place. And you and I have both lived in LA well over a decade now. And there are moments where. I don't know. It's funny. Like, I feel like you mentioned the word jaded. Mm -hmm. And I think there are moments where I feel jaded to being in L.A. And then I will have lucid moments of like, oh, this is where I dreamed of being as a child. Yeah. And there's a reverence and there's a sense of wonder that gets reinstilled in me and remembering the dream of what I had as a child of living in California, living in Los Angeles. And
0: why did you want to live here?
1: I wanted to live here while well, my dad was out here. So that's one reason is there was this desire to reconnect with my father, which never really happened. And the other side of it was I just, as a kid, it blew my mind that I remember just being obsessed with movies and TV as a kid, watching a lot of entertainment and, and thinking, wow, all of this magic gets created out there. Mm-hmm. Or I would turn over albums or cassettes of my favorite bands. And I would read the liner notes and it would say, oh, recorded at Sound City in Studio City, California, or recorded at Hollywood Recorders. And I remember thinking, man, all of these movies and TV and albums that I love, they're all from L.A. Like, what is this place? It just seemed like this fantasy land of infinite possibility. And in many ways, it it is. is. Yeah, in many ways (laughs) it is. And also, you know, as an adult, there's also a sense of, oh, yeah, well, this is just a place. People work. Not everyone is chasing fame and fortune and people live here and have families and jobs and lives just like they do everywhere else.
0: Maybe that's why I felt so frustrated is because, yeah, it is just another place, but there is something energetically about Los Angeles that draws, I think, similar to New York. Oh, for sure. Generally, people either are really into New York, really into California and Los Angeles specifically, or both, right? And both cities seem to have endless possibilities. They're huge cities. So yes, the possibilities are partially because of the amount of people here. So the more people, the more variety, you know, we just have access to so much and anything that you could dream is possible here. And it's really amazing in that sense versus again, for me growing up in a small town, any city, I lived in Boston and that was lovely as a city, but there's something about LA that I really feel like every day that anything I want is possible. And that's so exciting to me. And I still believe that. And that's partially why I felt frustrated thinking like, here I am amongst all of these people. Why would anybody feel jaded by this? Why would people not be grateful for these things? You know, it's incredible. I still feel in awe when I see a quote-unquote celebrity, somebody that whose name I know, and who, someone I see in a TV show or or a movie or whatever, and and you see them on the street. You see them. Jason and I saw a pretty big name a few weeks ago at the local store down the block from me, and I just felt in awe of that moment of wow. I mean, that is a a great example of anything could happen at any time, you know. And this is one of those cities where everybody is connected. I mean, you're just one person away from being connected to somebody that you admire. And that's happened right. to me so many times too. And it blows my mind. So it's part of me like feeling annoyed. <laughs> like, mm. wow, how could you possibly not feel the magic? How could you possibly not be tapped into the magic here? It's this frustration wanting to shake someone and say, don't you realize how lucky you are? <laughs> To live here, to work here, to be surrounded by these people. What is it that is causing you to feel ungrateful or like this is just another day? Right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's maybe that's just part of the human condition. We just get used to things and we, we lose sight of how magical they are. And it's all magic is also very relative. I suppose if you experience magic on a regular basis, then maybe you forget that it's magic to begin with. Right. Or it just doesn't feel magical to you anymore because you're used to it.
1: Right. It becomes your new normal, maybe.
0: For you, Jason, you've worked with some big names while doing private chef work. Correct. And so what was your experience with, because you were in that world, you would work on movie sets sometimes, Mm -hmm. correct?
1: Yeah. Yeah. My experience?
0: I mean, Mm. did you find that there was a lot of jadedness or... Do you think that maybe your role, I think it's different. I mean, again, I worked as a production assistant. So if if you're unfamiliar as a listener with what that means, it's kind of like the quote unquote bottom rung where you are that person that gets paid very little and is a jack of all trades. You could be asked to do anything and you're like, you feel almost invisible because you're running around and doing all of these random jobs and It's just one of those jobs that it's like acceptable to not appreciate that person, even though that person is so important. Again, like the cog in the wheel, if it weren't for that person, a lot of things would not get done and wouldn't be as efficient. So I think some of my experiences that I had was when I was in that role. But I also, I did a lot of assistant work. And so I think maybe that was part of why I experienced that. I worked at, at, as a secretary at the front desk of production offices, or I worked as a personal assistant, or I worked as a editorial assistant or office assistant. I mean, all of these different roles were generally like in that assistant category. And it's almost like you feel unimportant, even though you know that you're doing important work. And so maybe for you, Jason, as a chef, you were seen as more valuable or something like you weren't as exposed to that type of energy that I was feeling for many years
1: i mean it was a mixed bag because i feel like getting to see the in the intimate lives of celebrities their families and how they live and you know feeding them my experience was pretty intimate and had some really interesting conversations with them this isn't really about the nature of celebrity that could be a totally different subject that we could explore but i found that that world was exciting to me it was exciting to me because I got to finally see the components of how a movie is made, yeah. And to me, I was also a student filmmaker in high school and early college. Actually, much like Whitney, I I got a film scholarship to go to Columbia for film school and ended up not graduating with a film degree. But
0: well, how is that much like me? I did not get a scholarship, but I did graduate with a
1: film. Well, well, because you went to film (laughs) school, you went to film school. That's what I meant. Much like you, you went to film. You went to one of the top film schools in the country, as did I. Yeah, that's something we share. Yeah. And I never was able to really get behind the, under the hood rather, and see exactly how a film was made. So the great pleasure I had was being behind the scenes, making food, and also being able to be on set delivering food to certain people, certain clients I had, and sitting there and watching them do takes, and watching them do scenes, and watching them reset, and being there into the late, late hours of the night. So it was an extremely exciting experience for me. And to your point, I noticed that there were people who seemed to be joyful and jubilant and creative and in the flow and knowing the thing. And certain production people, it felt to me with their demeanor and their attitude consistently, like just getting a paycheck, Yeah, just punching a paycheck, man. And I think that's the case with any profession. And to realize that perhaps in those moments, what comes up for me is when it's not glamorous and we're not feeling the magic and we're not feeling in the flow, can we still be committed to showing up and doing our best? And are we open to rediscovering the magic in something? That's an interesting conversation because sometimes I feel like I will be super passionate about something. I have had many interesting career permutations before this, And sometimes I've been able to resurrect the magic and sometimes I haven't and have felt in my heart like it it was time to go and it was time to end that particular part of my career. That's an interesting place to be in of do I commit to finding the newness and finding the magic and finding the spark again, perhaps looking at this in a different way, or is it time for me to move on to something new?
0: It's kind of like a relationship.
1: Very much. (laughs) Very much. Yeah.
0: With another person. Meaning, I mean, I guess you have relationships with our jobs. Yeah, it's interesting because working in the film industry, I bounced around from a lot of different positions, Yeah, which I'm so grateful for looking back because I had so many different experiences. I worked in a ton of different offices, and I just got to see it from so many different angles. And that was a blessing because looking back, I feel very satisfied with what I did when I worked in production. I'm not sure there is much that I did not experience. Mm -hmm. And I think it's nice when you can feel confident that you got as much out of something as felt necessary to you or as much as you thought that you could. And that way you can look back and not feel like you didn't try hard enough or you didn't do enough. Right. It helps relieve any feelings of regret. I just don't feel regret from it. It just feels interesting. That I'm no longer doing something that I thought was going to be my life's work. And that's why I feel less of an attachment now or an expectation now with the work that I'm doing. I've been doing it for over 10 years now and it has been very intimate and has felt like it's in full alignment. But I'm, I guess I'm because of my past experience of changing careers. I feel like anything could happen. Had you asked me when I still worked in production, if I was going to do anything else with my life, I probably would have said no. It wasn't like there was a point where I thought, hmm, I don't like this anymore. What can I do instead? It was almost as if the two overlapped and just one ended and one began. Yeah. I'm grateful for that. Whereas, as we the very beginning of this episode, we were talking about a mutual friend of ours who's in a place of thinking, wow, this career I thought I wanted, I don't want anymore. And now I don't know what to do.
1: Ooh, yeah. That can be... Have you
0: experienced that? As I just said, I have not. So I can't fully relate to that feeling.
1: Oh, 100%.
0: I know what it's like to not have a job and think, well, I don't know what my next job is going to be. So I know it in terms of like going from one thing to another and trying to figure out how I can pivot. But as a profession as a whole i or a th- or like a thematic overview of the type of work I was doing. It was for one chunk of my life working in production and the next chunk of my life working in wellness and content online content creation right so yes, the minute details changed in each of those different phases of my life, but I was never at a place of feeling like I was starting at square one again. Mm-hmm. have you
1: yeah, absolutely I have s- Stopped and ended and started things so many times in my life it makes my head spin just to think about it it really does it's it's interesting to look back on what I wanted, the track that I started to go down and how I would pivot and end things and start something new it just it feels like it's happened a lot for me in my life out of high school, I had won some film competitions for my student work, and I got a film scholarship to go to Columbia and went there to do film school and was in film school and Realized I didn't really want to do that. I wanted to do acting. So I pivoted and started doing acting. And I realized that I wanted to also have a, an education in marketing because I felt like it would be behoove me to learn how to market myself as a performer and artist in the world. So I ended up not getting a film degree at all. I ended up getting a marketing communications degree with a minor in theater. Okay. Didn't expect that. And then I ended up working as a copywriter for the first five years of my career in advertising agencies. I was working as a copywriter and writing ads and, and creating that type of persuasive entertainment, we'll call it. And then 2005, I had a bunch of money saved, and I realized I did not want to be living the life I wanted anymore. And I quit early that year. I traveled the world most of 2005, and by the end of the year, I was like, I want to be in L.A. So moved out to L.A., and was here.
0: And why did you say you wanted to move to LA?
1: Oh, because I'd always wanted to move to LA, even as a child. Because of your dad. Yeah. Well, my dad. And also because if you want to be an actor or musician, this is where you go or New York. Right. So I didn't want to be in New York yet. And of course, ended up being in New York. That's another part of the the journey. But I quit my career as a copywriter. I was in the ad industry. I was making good money, but my heart wasn't in it. My heart just I just didn't want to do anymore. I wanted to be a performer and wanted to be a singer and pursue acting, and and then ended up going to culinary school, and then got out of culinary school. And
0: what? How did you make that decision to go to culinary school? Because I wasn't
1: making any money as an actor or musician, and I was why culinary all of a sudden? Because I had always enjoyed making food, and it was an art form that I enjoyed, and I was curious if I applied myself with a formal education, how I would do.
0: It's just so interesting because. If you ask most people who know you, they would describe you as a chef. And yet here you are saying it was just kind of one of these, hmm, I like making food, I'll go do this. That it was wasn't, pretty much it. It wasn't yeah. like I love food in my whole life, I wanted to you know
1: No, it wasn't that. And, and I think about that sometimes. You know my relationship to my profession has changed and and my viewpoint on it is different than it was a few years back. But most people regard me as a chef and that's fine, but Spoiler alert, it's not the thing I'm most passionate about.
0: What is the thing that you're most passionate about?
1: That's a great question.
0: You don't know off the top of your head?
1: I mean, the first thing that came to me was entertaining people. Mm. Because a few years ago at a New Year's Eve gathering, I was with a mutual friend of ours who is one of the most famous music managers in the history of music. Like, ridiculous. And we were talking about art and career and everything. And she looked at me and she goes, Jace. You're an entertainer. That's what you are. It doesn't matter what you're doing. You could do food. You could do music. You could be on the camera. Like you are an entertainer. You were born to entertain people. That's a very aqueous But when she said that, it resonated. I was like, you're damn right I am. Like it doesn't matter what I'm (laughs) doing. I want to bring joy and entertainment to people. I want to move them. I want to light them up. Like no matter what I'm doing, I think that's the thing I'm most passionate about is I love and I always have loved to entertain people. What form that takes, it's changed a lot in my life, for sure. But at the heart of things, I think, yeah, for someone to say, oh, he's a great entertainer, that resonates. And my heart goes, you're damn right. Yes. Thank you. Thank you.
0: <laughs> there was a string through.
1: I think so. At all. I think with film and writing, acting, music, food, there's a degree of leveraging my artistic desires to entertain people or move them or bring them something that maybe impacts their life in a positive way. And I've always had this idea in terms of dreams or career choice that I had to pick one thing and stick to it. And there's always been this conflict within me, even as a young man, of thinking, well, you should just stuck with one thing because that's how Picasso did it, or Bob Dylan did it, or Michael Jordan did it, or whatever. This idea in my head of the greats in all the professions that have inspired me. And if I really examine that, it's not true. If I look at my heroes, my artistic heroes, people who have deeply inspired me, they didn't actually choose one thing. They might have been known for one thing, but they had other artistic pursuits that were of equal value and measure to them. And I think we're in a state now, if, if I look at the entertainment world in general, that it's kind of, I don't know about expected. It's a person who comes to mind of the current generation is like Justin Timberlake. You know, you think of JT, first thing you think of is amazing singer, amazing dancer, great songwriter. Dude can act. Dude mm-hmm. is hilarious too. Like he's funny as hell. He's a great actor. Or what I grew up like David Bowie, one of the greatest musicians and chameleonic creative people in the history of our culture also a phenomenal actor and great writer. And so this paradigm I think that I have been holding onto of I need to pick one thing and stick to it, if I look at my heroes, the artists that truly inspire me, they have multiple things going on all the time. And it's apropos that most people associate me with food, but I'm still deeply, deeply passionate about music and comedy and being on camera and just entertaining people. Food is just what most people associate me with. So
0: Yeah, it is interesting. I think there's an element of feeling passion for something, doing it for a a while, and then realizing that you're no longer interested in it.
1: That's, yeah.
0: And for me, it's really fascinating. I I guess I haven't given it too much thought because, like I said, it, it came about so organically for me to just switch directions. It wasn't that I was throwing away something. It was just that the thing that was common, the things that the two careers have have in common with one another is the video content. Yeah. And for me, growing up, YouTube didn't exist at that time. So it wasn't even something that was happening when I was in college. So there was never even an option to be a YouTuber or a content creator of any sorts. And I wonder what it would have been like to have those options when I was in college. Would I have pursued that? Because for me, I was very traditional. I really wanted to direct and write and act in movies. That was my passion and that was my the direction in which I was headed. And I was determined. I was really determined to make it happen. And even though I think there were those moments of me getting a bit discouraged and frustrated and resentful of other people in the industry, which I think is part of the reason it's hard. I mean, just interacting and dealing with all these (laughs) challenging people in in the production world, I mean, it was emotionally draining for me. And so maybe that's where it started to occur to me that I really was passionate about making a difference. In fact, my second to last job was one of the best that I had in the whole entertainment world. And that's where I started recognizing how much I cared about environmental things. And I was just so passionate and I was getting frustrated with people that weren't into environmental issues. And so that's where I just started to get funneled naturally into this blog. And then eventually the videos, I thought like I can educate people, I can make a difference, I can help, but I can also be creative with it. And so that natural unfolding of realizing things, maybe it had never occurred to me, but it had been something on my heart my entire life, right? This idea of doing something good for the world. And I think that that can also happen. You just get into this mindset almost like a program. Oftentimes it can be our parents drilling it into our head over and over and over again you need to do this job to get this money, or you can pick from these careers to make money. Yeah. And then we have all these ideas of what money means for us. And it's almost like a lot of people, I th- I think, grow up just trying to fit into a mold of their teachers and their family members and their friends and society, all these things that were kind of program-trained, conditioned into wanting. And so you think, well, if, if I want to have that family and those children and that house and that car, and all the other components, I need to have a job that can pay for those things. And so my parents said that these are the jobs that I can have, or these are the jobs that my friends are going after. So I'm just going to do that. Yeah. And it's like, you hear about these midlife crisis that some people have. I wonder if it's because you spend so much time doing something, and then one day you realize that you never really had to do it. You just thought that you had to do that or that those were the only options. And so I think it's so amazing when somebody makes a pivot at any point of their life, really, and decides to tap further into what their passion is. And it's such a beautiful thing, but it can often feel very scary because it's shaking up the status quo or shaking up the foundation in which they've built their whole lives. And maybe that's where the confusion lies is like with this friend that we're referring to. They really have to step back and take the time to tap into themselves and find out what else do they love or what did they love about what they were doing before and how can they use that love to pursue something else or a different version of it or something. And so it really can take some time because especially if you're not in the practice of being very conscious, I imagine Or it seems to me that a lot of people are not. If you're not in a regular practice of meditation or yoga or reflection or journaling or writing, you know, any type of
1: self-inquiry, self inquiry. Exactly. Mm
0: -hmm. If that's not something that you're practicing regularly, then I imagine it's incredibly frightening when you have to just step back and say, well, what do I want? Because you're just not in the practice of asking yourself what you want.
1: Maybe you never have.
0: Yeah, I bet you there's a lot of people out there. Maybe that's just not the way they were raised. For sure. Maybe meditation seems really silly or journaling seems frivolous or, you know, whatever label you've put on these things. Whereas for me, I've always been very self-reflective. I've been journaling and processing and I've been into whatever self-inquiry methods I could find, even therapy, right? if you've never gone to therapy before, maybe you've just never sat with yourself and reflected on who you are and what you want and why you're doing things. So I imagine anybody listening to this podcast is probably interested in self-inquiry, but maybe there's someone in your life who's really struggling to figure out who they are and what they want. And I imagine that's also very challenging emotionally to be in that place of thinking, you're almost at a standstill. I'm unhappy and I want to do something different, but I don't know what that thing is yet.
1: Yeah. And all the attendant fears that come with that as an it's like adult. The
0: fear of the unknown.
1: Well, it's also a lot more than that, I think. I think it's ultimately the fear of letting people down. It's the fear of being destitute. It's the fear of losing making everything the you've the wrong built, choice. making the wrong choice, losing what you've built climbing back down the other side of the mountain after you've scaled whatever mountain that is. There's a lot to this.
0: Starting from scratch, especially when you're in your 30s or 40s or later. I mean, this could happen at any point in your life. This could happen. I mean, this happens to a lot of people in college and after college, right? And we see it as like this young 20-something thing. There's a another view of it when you're in your 30s or 40s. Like, well, what are you doing changing your career? Or what do you mean you don't know who you are or what you want to do? And maybe there's people that have so much shame around that, that they don't even want to admit it publicly.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I feel that a lot. This subject is hitting home for me. And I think it's hitting home for me because in my early 40s now, especially this year, I'm in a process of reevaluating things. And a lot of things that I have known professionally have fallen away at the beginning of this year. Certain relationships, certain income sources, I think there is something about having the courage to put yourself into unknown regions and go into the darkest part of the forest, as Joseph Campbell used to say, where there is no path. You know, there's no clear path, but you're going to walk in this part of the forest because it's leading you somewhere. And I think there is a lot of shame or feelings around yeah, you know, when you're in your teens and your twenties, that's like the time to experiment. But by the time you're in your thirties, forties, fifties, beyond, like you need to be anchored in your thing. And if you're not, there's something wrong with you.
0: <laughs> and it's kind of funny when you think about it. I mean, who's setting these cultural expectations or rules? I mean,
1: Minister well, of culture? I don't yeah, know. So
0: why does it matter if you want to change and pivot? And why is there shame around that? It's. It's actually perplexing just discussing it. Who cares? Why does it? I guess it's a different if you feel like there's someone depending on you, right? I think that that there's a lot of pressure there. If you're married or you have other obligations, family or otherwise, and you feel like you need to generate a certain amount of income and thus you can't change because it would throw everything off and you have to wait and make sure there's a sure thing. But actually, as I'm saying this, I'm thinking about people I know who Have quick careers to pursue their big passions. Finally, they finally found the courage for it and they don't have any dependents and they, it doesn't even really matter, but they're so afraid of not making it or they're afraid of failing. They're afraid of running out of money and not being able to pay rent and all of these things. And it's very understandable, right? It comes back to these feelings of survival. But ultimately, following your passion and being happy, feeling fulfilled is also such a crucial part of humanity. At least for our culture, Western culture is very much built around that idea of the individual feeling satisfied. And I think if we don't feel satisfied with our lives, that's equally as devastating. That equally can impact our will to live. You know what I mean? Like, As human beings, we have to find a reason to get up every day. And if every day you're getting up and doing something that you don't like, and you're denying something that's deep within you, then that, I feel like, is like a slow killer. Right? It is. That's just miserable. And I remember when I made the change to work for myself, not only to pivot my career, but at the time as I was deciding to pursue something new, I also decided, To work for myself. And I remember it being very scary, but incredibly liberating because I finally got to make my own schedule. I got to make my own rules. I got to decide what I was going to do every day and when. And that fits my personality and my just the things that I enjoy so much better than getting up and clocking in and following somebody else's guidance. Some people enjoy the latter, just not me. Right. So I would rather struggle. And do what I'm doing now in my own terms then feel perfectly financially stable and do life on somebody else's terms, right? Yeah. But each person is going to have a different relationship to all this.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It requires a lot of courage to change and to let go of something that you've been holding on to for so long. Whether that's a long-held dream or a career or a relationship, these pivots, these changes There's a reason a lot of people don't ever make them, even though they might be whispering in their ear, whispering in their hearts, because it can be terrifying. And also knowing that I believe, from my own experience and other people who have taken the leap over and over and over and over again, that somehow, I don't know if you want to call it grace or the universe has your back, God's love, whatever you believe in, that there is some thing that happens when we acknowledge and surrender to what's in our heart to do and go for it, that somehow everything ends up okay. And I don't mean that in a simple or pedantic way. There are certainly incredibly terrifying and tough moments in all of this journey. I just think there's some way the universe shows up with certain resources or certain support when you get so clear about what it is that you really want to be focusing on or doing, and you just go for it.
0: And I think that's part of purpose, right? It's like the manager said to you about you being an entertainer perhaps that is your purpose. And if you do believe in a higher power, then a lot of the spirituality is based around living your purpose, what you were here to do. And maybe we were each put on this planet to play a role and to deny that role that is doing a great disservice to the rest of the world. So if we look at this from a place of purpose and service and passion and Something that drives us and something that is in a way just the underlying reason and motivation behind everything that we do. It's act, life is actually easier and happier, more joyous. And I think if we have more joy and passion in this world and magic, really to go back to what I was saying, it makes the world a better place. I mean, we can remember as children. When we saw things from a viewpoint of magic, we're drawn to magic as human beings. We want to believe in magic. And I believe that we all have magic within us. It's just a matter of tuning in and being honest with it and finding the courage to go after that magic and and live our lives based on that magic. Even if that means doing something that you don't think is the right thing to do or the most lucrative thing to do or how you think other people should view it. If you're living your life based on what Somebody else thinks that you should be doing with your life that may or may not be fulfilling for you.
1: Absolutely. It comes down to this thing of are we living for ourselves or are we living for others? Are we answering the true calling or are we trying to meet others expectations of us? It comes down to really this examination of people pleasing and wanting people's approval and wanting their attention and affection or living from our own center. And again, I think this requires tremendous practice of self-inquiry, getting to know who we are, listening to our hearts, listening to our guts and stepping out and doing it. And it's not just doing it once. I kind of feel like once you choose the path of listening to yourself and listening to your intuition or your gut, it's a thing of doing it over and over and over and over again. And it reminds me of this thing Tony Robbins says about burning the ships. Like once you make a decision, you kind of burn the ships and you just like, you're on the bank of the shore. You're it. You're on your island. You're doing it. So I think part of this requires a certain mentality like that. You know, you step all the way in, you take the leap and see what happens. So whatever your dream is, whatever is in your heart to do, we just want to encourage you to tap into that. Let it wash over you. Listen to the small whispers in your ear that might be nudging you toward a different life, a new exploration, a different career, a new creative path. And the more you do that, the more you listen, the more you take those little leaps you start to just build that capacity to take the big leaps when the time is right. So we're here for you, and we appreciate your contribution to what we're doing in the world. You can always connect with us on our website, which is wellevator.com, dot rcom You can always shoot us an email to hello at wellevator.com. Check us out on all of the social media platforms, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. We also have some video content coming out. So check that out soon, and go for it. Go for your dreams. Listen to the small, still voice inside of you and just keep trusting that you are being led to exactly where you need to be. We'll catch you soon with another episode.
0: Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to WellEvator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.